0: Welcome to Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine, through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals, to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Hello and happy new year. Welcome back to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. My name is Carrie Debo, and I am your host. I am a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine, and I'm so excited to welcome you back for the second half of this installation of Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. For the past few months, I've been traveling and interviewing for surgical residency positions, and I'm so excited to be back to welcome in the new year together and... To use this time to celebrate some very special physicians, some very special stories. And to share their thoughts as we all head forward into a new year, we turn over a new leaf and we reflect on the new things that are ahead of us. And I think this is a pertinent time to share their stories. So I hope you guys enjoy tuning in. We have nine amazing women who will be speaking on the show during this installment, and we'll be releasing episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays throughout the month of January and close out this installment of Essential Wisdom on Friday, January 31st, with a special episode. So thank you to everyone who tunes in. Please continue to share this podcast, share these stories, and I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Help me welcome Dr. Christine Van Cott. Dr. Van Cott practices general surgery and hepatopancreatico biliary HPB surgery at St. Vincent's Medical Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where she is the Chief of General Surgery and Director of Acute Care Trauma Services. She's a mom to two boys and has been married for 16 years. She's the surgical clerkship director and a professor of surgery at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine. Dr. Van Cott earned her MD at State University of New York at Buffalo and completed general surgery residency at Hospital of St. Raphael, New Haven, Connecticut. She went on to complete a fellowship in HPB surgery at Auckland City Hospital, New Zealand. Dr. Van Cott leads the Netter School of Medicine Surgery Interest Group with great success. Having served as a faculty mentor for this group since its creation, she has helped gather volumes of medical students throughout their four years of school for panels, networking events, volunteer projects, and shadowing opportunities. She is dedicated to helping medical students achieve what they are passionate about and assists in providing opportunities for mentorship to students beginning on day one. Dr. Van Cott, thank you for coming to the show. Welcome to Essential Wisdom.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you. So the way that I like to begin the interview is to ask you to tell us about your path
1: to becoming a female physician. Sure. Um, I I don't have a glamorous story. I grew up in a middle-class family, um, kind of middle-class family in New York State. Um, I went to Mm -hmm. public schools my whole life. I didn't have doctors in my family. My mother was a wonderful nurse, um, and so I got little tidbits of the healthcare care field through her. Um, mm-hmm. I was always really good at sciences. Um, I was a good student growing up, and along the way I tended to enjoy the sciences more than some of my other classes. Um, I went to college at Hobart and William Smith um, with a thinking that I made kind of go to pre-med in whatever capacity that meant. But I did go to a liberal arts school, um, kind of kept my door open, wondering if there was something else I would enjoy as well. But I always kind of got pulled to the sciences. Mm. And from there, I got directed to medical school. And to be frankly honest, I didn't really know what that meant. A counselor Mm. kind of told me to go to medical school, and it sounded like a good idea, and it made my parents very proud. I headed, Um, not really with much idea of what kind of doctor I wanted to be or exactly what that meant, but that really put me on my path, um, a little bit of the unknown for me at that time. Um, But honestly, I, I wouldn't change a thing, and I'm glad that somebody steered me in that direction. How did that wind up happening? Was that through the intervention of a faculty member or a mentor that you had in college? For me, it was really just a school counselor um, that kind of put me on the path. I was good at sciences. You should be a doctor. Uh, um, (laughs) And I I really honestly didn't really know what that meant except that, you know, doctors were highly regarded. It was a good profession. I was a good student. So it seemed to be this logical match um, Mm -hmm. academically for me. Um, I I really didn't give much thought at that point to lifestyle or – Career choice or career type or specialty, I didn't even know the possibilities that existed at that point. Um, So it's funny that part of me is glad I didn't know because I might have had more reservations. Did I know? Um, Mm. I might have contemplated other choices. Would I have known the path ahead of me? Um, But the best thing I did was just kind of follow the next step in the path that somebody put in front of me. Yeah. There's two things there that I think are really interesting. First, you mentioned that your you said your mom was a nurse? Yeah, my mom was a wonderful nurse. Um, she just recently retired. Um, she used to work in New York Hospital, um, you know, in the good old days when hospitals were hospitals and nurses were nurses. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she, she was always a nurse who really cared for her patients. Um, I remember her coming home from... Her shifts exhausted and staying late and doing little things, you know, shaving a patient or helping them cut their food or giving them a bath. And as I got older and involved in the healthcare um, industry, because that's what it is now, um, mm-hmm. I realized how important those little things she did for the patients mattered. And I definitely try and reflect what I learned from her into how I care for my patients today. Yeah, so it seems like that's a theme that has carried throughout your career in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, for for me, medicine was a bit of an extension of who I was. I mm. grew up in a household that valued others. I grew up in a household that, um, you know, we, we did volunteer hours. We thought about others. Um, we spent our time helping other people. Um, and that was just part of what we did. It was part of uh culturally who we were, it's part of religiously who we were. And it it was important for me that I think my professional choice reflected that in a way. Um so yeah, it was a very natural extension of kind of who I was before I became a physician, but definitely who I am now that I am a physician and surgeon. Um and now also as a wife and a mom. It's reflected in a very different way. Um mm to lots of people who, who kind of are part of my life now. When you were going through the process of deciding you were going to go to medical school, did you have um, female mentors that you looked up to or people to emulate? I have to say I, I really didn't. Um, all of mm-hmm. my professors in the sciences were men. Um, most of them were quite a bit older, um, learned academic type Um They were very approachable, um, and I could Mm -hmm. talk with them, but I didn't particularly have very many female mentors within the sciences. I also happened to be a collegiate athlete, um, and Mm -hmm. one of my mentors was really my female coach. Um, She not only, I think, was a coach on the field for me, but off the field. She demanded excellence of us. And that wasn't just athletic excellence. It was academic excellence, and it was personal excellence and ethical excellence. And mm-hmm. she held us to this incredibly high standard um, to which I was kind of used to my parents holding me to. And it was one of the reasons I chose the school I went to is that I thought that I would be continued to be pushed to be the best person I could be. Um, and, you mm-hmm. know, I credit her a lot for kind of keeping me um, on the same path that my parents caught me on years ago um, and helping me achieve what I achieved in college and getting me into medical school and helping me be mm-hmm. successful. Mm. That's a fabulous person to have in your life. And I feel that, in a way, probably what you experienced as a sports player and someone who had a coach translates to surgery. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um pet That teamwork mentality, I think, is one of the reasons I enjoy surgery so much. Um, Mm. There is no I in team. I don't think there's an eye in medicine either, um, or at least there shouldn't be. And the operating room, for me, is the place where you're never alone. It's never about an I. It's about you, your patient, and the team. And I enjoy that so very much. And I found that very appealing about my medical training, about my surgical training, and about my choice of my profession, um, mm. and I think everything I learned on a on a field from when I was younger through my college days uh, translates to uh, me being a successful surgeon. Dedication, time, repetition, practice um, mm. you know, meeting standards even to other things that we used to work on. Visualization. The first time I heard about visualization and positive thinking, and you know, if you think it, you can make it happen. That. That for me was on a sports field. But I use those same techniques now on before operations, during operations, and stressful times. Um, and that all has really helped me be able to cope um, in a really wonderful way with my professional uh, duties. Oh, that's amazing. Um, in your experience of then transitioning to becoming a professional, did you ever second guess being a female and taking on? the responsibilities of motherhood and and a big career? Uh, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, In so many different ways, you know, from, um, you know, can I do this? Um, I remember that from my first day, you know, as an attending to my first day as a fellow, to my first of everything, you wonder if you're good enough. You wonder if you should be there. You wonder if they made the right choice. Um, and I, I don't know if men experience that same thing, but I often see this in my female students now. We, we as women, I think, are really hard on ourselves, and we expect perfection of ourselves. And perfection is, is usually unattainable, but it's usually also unnecessary, and it's um, just not human. Nobody is perfect. And I think that um, that took me a long time to realize Mm. as a professional. And then I have to tell you, it took me a long time to realize that as a wife and a mom as well, that you are not going to have this perfect marriage. You are not going to have this perfect kid, and that's okay. It's still a wonderful life, a wonderful marriage, and a wonderful career. But on the days where those doubts collide, those are some of the worst days you have. How do you rectify the pursuit of excellence and managing that desire to find or try and find something close to perfection? Yeah, it's, it's about balance for me. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've found other people in my life who help me with that balance. So, mm-hmm. you know, first and foremost, my husband gets an enormous amount of credit. He understands me better than anyone else. He knows what I do. He knows what my dedication to my patients takes, both in physical time and emotional time, Um, Mm -hmm. and he applauds that, and he supports that. So that, for me, is helpful. Um, And he steps in when my children need a parent, and I've had to realize over the time that it doesn't always have to be the mom, Um, that Mm -hmm. traditional mother role, um, that has, changed for our family. And I think my kids are better for it. Um, But that for me was a big hurdle to get over. But now my kids at school talk about their cool mom, the surgeon who saw blood and guts. I'm the coolest mom there is in the class. Um, But that was different. It's different than the way I grew up. It's different, you know, than the way most people kind of view marriages and gender roles. So that was a big shift. And then I think also in my job, I work with a lot of other female surgeons. And Mm. we help each other. Um, We listen to each other. We understand each other. We are our biggest supporters. Um, We also question each other. And, you know, and we make sure that we are kind of on our game. Um, And when we're not, that's okay because there's somebody else there to kind of help you through a bad day. And whether that's Mm. a professional bad day or a personal bad day, it's really great to have another female, another female surgeon, another Um, wife surgeon, another mother surgeon to listen. And they have the same perspective as you do. Um, And if we help each other, we can make a lot less of those stressful days um, Mm -hmm. by kind of that teamwork perspective again. But yeah, those for me, uh, having the right people on my team has mattered. Mm. When you were in training, did you have a lot of female uh, trainees around you? I did not. Um, When I was in medical school, um i I was at a medical class um, my class was about three hundred and thirty. It was a very large medical class oh, wow. um women were underrepresented in that class, no different than most other classes at that time that I was in my training. I moved on to residency. My residency program was actually very gender equal um males and females they were well represented um as well as um kind of minorities um I think my residency program was very thoughtful about diversity, kind of a little bit ahead of the curve um, mm-hmm. when other uh, programs were kind of forced into it. I think they were already doing that. Um, and, I, and I give that a lot of credit that I think that was part of the education that I got and a, and a valuable part of my education that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so so for me, I, you know, I, I didn't start within a medical school, but I've kind of grown into um, kind of situations where there have been kind of gender-equalized equal, situations. And then mm-hmm. I have to say, as I looked for places to become an attending into practice medicine, I looked for institutions that supported women already, mm-hmm. that had women on faculty or on staff, even if they weren't surgeons, um, that they may have had women in leadership positions, Um and for me, that was comforting that I didn't need to be a trailblazer per se. Maybe I was going to be the only um, oncology surgeon or the mm-hmm. only female clerkship director. But, you know, but at least there were other women, and you could see that they were valued with an organization, and that those other women were similar situationally to me, um, that they had families and lives and Um, or in a place that supported them, figuring out whatever that balance was for them. And everybody's balance is different, Um, but that was part of my job search, um, to kind of look at that balance and how people were managing in that. And that varied from institution to institution dramatically. That was very helpful. You read my mind, because I was going to say, having rotated at St. Vincent's, I felt that there was a great number of women in surgery, and that that definitely impacted my experience. And I was curious if that was a part of what you were looking for when you were seeking your, your spot. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as I've ascended into more leadership positions and am able to make more changes or facilitate more changes or more empower in hiring processes, um, I'm, I'm very much um, looking for great Female candidates, um, mm-hmm. great diverse candidates. Um, you know, I'm always going to pick the better candidate, the better surgeon, but mm-hmm. I'm never going to overlook another wonderful female. Um, mm-hmm. So if I can be helpful and supportive in somebody else's career, um, that's important for me. And that goes, you know, from student to attending, you know, however I can support another, you know, female physician. Um, or even healthcare provider, because I run across a lot of other PAs, nurses, and APRNs. I think we're kind of all in this together, and the more we support mm. each other, the better off it will be. Mm. I love that. In terms of how then you chose surgery, did you ever second guess choosing that as a woman at the time? Oh, uh, it didn't. I there was no other choice but surgery. Um, <laughs> it is where I found my joy. It is yes. where I. I found it. I don't, I don't know what it was, but that was it. There was no other place where I belonged besides that operating room. And while that operating room wasn't filled with a lot of women or anybody, frankly, when I was a medical student, um, that was where I belonged. And it didn't matter to me. And I think part of that athlete in me, I was a little bit used to competing with the boys. Um mm-hmm. I was a little bit used to being a tomboy. I was a little bit used to holding my own. Um and I got there and I realized I'm better at this than they are. And I can do this. Um so I set out to do it. Mm-hmm. I never I never thought any I, I was going to be anything else. Once I found surgery, I was hooked. Awesome. Once you went down that road, did you struggle with confidence personally because the confidence issue is something that's come up in a lot of these conversations that I've actually had with female physicians about whether or not you were confident enough to do the job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, I I don't think it stopped in medical school and residency. Um, and I think that that even, you know, sneaks into, into my, um, my jobs now. Um, am I good enough? Um, you know, do they do they know they've picked me to do this job? Um, yeah. And, yeah. And sometimes it takes taking a deep breath and reminding yourself that you are good at what you do. And sometimes mm-hmm. it takes somebody else reminding you that you're good at what you do. And that's where that team that you have around you can be very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and connecting with mentors now is different than, you know, the women that I – Um, speak with on social media, whether that be Twitter or Facebook or, um, you know, surgical collaboratives. It's empowering to see other women able to do what you're doing or pushing or supporting you as you're asking a question. Um, And there's a whole network of women out there who are making it okay and that are enabling us to to move forward without questioning ourselves so much or self-doubting mm-hmm. ourselves. We all belong here. And if we didn't, we wouldn't be here. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you just got to convince yourself of that though. Yeah. And what a struggle sometimes, but but so important. Um, just like yeah. Here's a little bit. If you were looking back at your time in medical school or in residency, what is something that you wish you knew when you were looking at what you were planning? Oh. I wish I knew. There's so much that I wish I knew. I wish, honestly, I wish I could do it all again. Mm. I remember sitting in medical school and thinking, oh, I, I, this, isn't, this isn't coming together. Why do I need to know this? And mm. I wish that someone had made the patient more of my education. Um, Now, this was before we had a lot of standardized patients and patient-centered education and small group learning, Um, and I think that's different for students now, but it's definitely not perfect, but we didn't learn about patients. We learned about disease and diagnosis, but we never really had a patient to put it on or to learn it with, and so for me, that was missing, And, and even for myself, I learn better when I – it's more tangible for me. Another reason why I like surgery. I can see my Mm -hmm. effort. I can see what's Mm -hmm. working. I can see what's not. And for me, having a patient is different than treating a diagnosis. Um, And I do wish that there was more of that in my education. And I try in my educating of others now to connect my student to a patient, not connect my student to a diagnosis. Would you talk on how that directed you to choosing specifically HPB surgery? Yeah. Um, it was a specialty that I didn't get a ton of exposure into in er- my early residency. We had a change in our chairman mid-residency, and my new chairman was a patal pancreatic biliary surgeon. And he was wonderful, and he became a surgical role model. Um, a personal role model, and now just a friend and mentor. Um, And he opened my eyes to something I didn't even know existed. And so around my fourth year of residency, I decided that that's what I wanted to pursue. And it fit me for a few reasons. I enjoy complexity of case. I enjoy a good open operation. Um, Mm -hmm. I enjoy ill patients. Um, I don't mean that facetiously, but I'm comfortable taking care of sick patients. Um, mm-hmm. Critical care was something that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the physiology of it. I, um, I was always okay and comfortable talking to patients when they were at some of their worst moments. Um, and I felt like I could make some of the biggest impacts for people in those moments, where I found some people would run away from those moments. I tended to run towards those moments. So, the specialty allowed me to personally expose myself to everything that I liked about the field of surgery and the field of medicine together and that mm-hmm. that's why I picked it. You know my practice over the years is definitely more of a mixed bag than it was when I first came out of fellowship um, and i in, I enjoy that i I enjoy my biliary work, but I enjoy my general surgery work just as much i I now work on the robot. A fair bit, um, and for me that's been a really new horizon professionally, and it's wonderful to learn new technology and apply it to your patients and um, to give them really great care and no two cases are are really the same um, I, I've enjoyed that variety, but for when I made my initial choice of HPB, it was the cost it satisfied a lot of who, what I enjoyed about medicine and who I am when you Hmm. Maybe I'll say this in a better way. Now, having had a career of many years as a practicing surgeon, what was one of the greatest rewards that you found doing that? It's the people. It's my Mm -hmm. patients. Sometimes it's for a cure. Sometimes it's for a smile. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's for a small little milestone you get them to. It it doesn't matter. Um, That's what it's all about. And for me, that is incredibly fulfilling and rewarding, and that is why I do what I do. I think that's why we all do what we do, or at least I hope so. Um, And, yeah, that's why I do what I do. On the flip side of that, what is the greatest challenge that you think you face? The challenge is the business of medicine. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I I joke with the students now, and you've heard me say it, that none of this was in the medical school brochure. Where was (laughs) all of this? There was no EMR. There was no time constraints. There was no writing notes at midnight. There was no HMOs. There was no insurance approvals. Um, The business of medicine. And it has to exist, but it sometimes is disheartening in the way it currently exists. And I think as as individuals and as physicians, um, as surgeons, but my also part of me as the mom and me and the wife of me, there yeah. has to be a better system. We're not there yet. We're not going to get there tomorrow. We're not going to get there next year. But I find that to be my most frustrating part of my day. My happy place mm-hmm. for me is the operating room, um, my second happy place for me is seeing a patient get better in whatever way that means for them or having a positive outcome. Um, My happy place is not arguing with an insurance company. (laughs) Um, And that that is the most frustrating part of me. The part of medicine that I didn't really know much about, the part of medicine that nobody taught me, the part of the business of medicine that was kind of this underlying kind of Elephant in the room that you knew it was there, but nobody really talked about it. Um, yeah. It wasn't part of my education. It wasn't part of my training, um, and that's so for me. That still is the biggest struggle. Do you think that educating people on the business of medicine is something that we should be doing before they choose the medical profession, or if it should if it shouldn't be that way? Um, I, I think it's, it's probably hard to educate someone on the business of medicine before they're in it. Do I mm-hmm. think that? medical schools and residency should have it as part of their curriculum, absolutely. Because I think the sooner and earlier we get into curriculum, I think it's more possible for each and every generation that we educate to make Mm. an impact on the system Mm. Um, and at an earlier earlier part in their career and to make more a meaningful change. Um, But I would imagine that it's hard to teach something you're not a part of. Um, and so, you know, I think definitely a part of medical school and residency curriculums, but earlier than that, I don't know if it's really possible or meaningful. Okay. Yeah. I, that's just an interesting question that I've thought about because I know that something that contributes to a lot of medical students being just confused, you know, when you finally get into your third year clerkships is like, oh my gosh, this is so much different than I really expected. And, um, I don't know that it's possible, like you're saying, to understand that when, when you're in college, but it
0: would be interesting. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. In in regards to the challenges, has there been any one specific challenge that's related to being a female in your field? I I I don't know if I want to. Say, I don't know if it's a challenge, but I have to say the time constraints for me sometimes mm-hmm. are the most struggling, and that's because I I don't know if this is just a personal um a personal how I deal with patients, manage patients, or or it's how female physicians or female surgeons, maybe as a as a general rule, we kind of all think about it a little bit differently. But I, I'm okay being empathetic with my patient and being compassionate with them and mm-hmm. listening to maybe stuff that may not fall under my bag of tricks, but it's important for my patient. So You know, just like I listen to my child before they go to bed at night and I tell them, Tell me three things that made you happy and three things that made you sad today. I do that with my kids because it's important for them to talk about that. I do that with my patients too because it's important for them to talk about it. Very hard to do with the time constraints of the business of medicine. Um, But Mm. I I haven't changed the way I practice because that's not fair to my patients. I want to practice the way I want to practice medicine. And so if that means that. I have to bring my computer home at night to write some notes after my kids go to bed. I'll do that because I will not put a computer between me and my patient because I haven't figured out a way. And if somebody has, please let me know how to talk about cancer with a computer screen in front of me. Um, Or to tell somebody they have good news without being able for them to jump up and give you a hug when you have a computer balanced on your lap. Um, That's just not who I am. Um, so for me, that's probably my biggest challenge and it's one of my balancing acts that I have to deal with, but I'm okay with that. Um, it helps me enjoy the greatest parts of my day. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Do you bring that same aspect of computers down or cell phones down or whatever when you go home and you're with your family? Yeah, we are. It's funny. My, my husband's a computer guy and by training and, (laughs) um, and for work. But, you know, we don't have a video game machine at home, and um, my kids have limited screen time. Not because they uh, – and they're little. My kids are still little. They're 8 and 7. Um, but because I enjoy interacting with my family. So yeah. we talk a lot, and we play board games a lot. And, um, and I enjoy that, and my kids enjoy it. And they always beat me in uno. So, right? Um, And it's what keeps us going. Um, And I I want my kids to be able to grow up and be able to have a conversation and shake a hand and look somebody in the eye. All the things that sometimes I find medical students struggle with because technology gets in the way of that emotional intelligence that I think you pick up by engaging people. And so, yeah, I try hard with my kids to keep them connected as people to me. And it's important for me, too, to stay connected to them. When I'm home with them, my time has to count. Um, I don't want to be home with them and they're in the other room playing on a video game. When I'm home with them, I want them to be with me. Um, I want them to have fun with me because I'm not there as much as other moms, other parents. I know that. So for me, i got to make every minute matter. That's so good. Thank you for sharing all that. Oh, my gosh, that's so good. And those are things I I think are really important to highlight um, when considering, this is even separate from Madison, just how you're going to have a family, but then having a family on top of a very, very busy life, very, very full life. And you can do it. You just have to be organized. You have to have a really good support system. But I will share with you that I picked pancake batter out of my hair today on the way to work that I didn't realize was there. But I made it work, right? Um, That's amazing. You know, some days are better than others, but um, those are usually the ones that your kids enjoy the most, right? The funny days where they laugh at mom and they tell you about it later and they giggle about it before they went to bed, and that's making memories. Um, And it's not always going to be perfect, and it's not always going to be like the book tells you it's going to be and it's definitely not like a leave it to be for episode, but it's yeah. your life. So make, yeah. it, make it what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and make the choices that allow you to do that, right? Yeah. If you join a group or a hospital that doesn't value family or relationships or balance, then it's really hard to get that in a place that doesn't have the cornerstone of what you want. So find yeah. a place that, you know, allows you to be you. Um, You don't always have to fight against the tide. And if you want to fight the tide, that's okay too. Then fight hard and find other women to fight the tide with you because you're never ever alone. Thank you. In terms of then a piece of advice that you would have to offer for a woman who is considering medical school or considering her residency, what would you recommend? Be your best self every day, and that it is okay to be amazing. I think a lot of women, um, all ages, all professions, all levels of education, often need permission to be good at their job or to be the one to raise their hand or the one that has the answer or to be the smart one or to be the one that sits in the front of the room. Don't need permission anymore. Give yourself permission. It's okay to be that girl. It's okay to be that woman. Um, so be it. And we have to keep telling each other that. Otherwise, we will always be in the back of the classroom. Otherwise, we will always let somebody else answer the question first. Um, it's okay to be that person. So you gotta, you got to tell each other that. and You have to tell yourself that every day. Well, thank you, Dr. VanCott. Thank you for coming and for talking to me and sharing all of your wisdom. This has been an absolutely fabulous conversation. I I truly appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I enjoyed your time very much, Carrie. And, you know, for all the women listening, um, you have a giant network of women, all the women that Carrie's interviewed, um, and all of the other women that you've encountered. Keep connected, enjoy each other, help each other, support each other, and, you know, reach out if you need anything. Thank you, Carrie.
0: Thank you, Dr. Van Cott, for coming on Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians and for being our guest for this first episode in January of 2020. It was such a good conversation to just share in the joys, challenges, and the laughter that you have experienced in your life and in your career. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and all of your insight into how to shape and guide young women um, that are pursuing the field of medicine. So I really appreciate your time. To everyone out there that's listening, thank you so much for tuning in for this second series of Essential Wisdom Inspiring Future Female Physicians, and Happy New Year. Welcome back. Um, Like I said earlier, I'm so excited to release episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays throughout the month of January, so please come back. If you really enjoyed this episode, you can always go back and listen to the first half of this season. Those were uh, published back in the beginning of the fall time, so please take a peek. There's There's about five episodes that are out there for you now. Um, and we will continue to release, like I said, so make sure to subscribe. If you liked us, share us with your family, friends, and maybe your Facebook or Instagram page. Um, we are available on Instagram as well as online. You can stream the podcast at apple podcasts, at Spotify podcasts, or at essential wisdom You can find out more information about each of the women physicians featured online at essential wisdom, inspiring physicians.com. All one word, all lowercase, no spaces, no dashes essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com. So thank you all so much for coming out. Like I said, happy new year and welcome back to the show.